0: You just see the the beauty of all these people coming together to give closure, to fulfill that promise that I made to Marines and to what was made to me when I became a Marine is dead or alive, you're coming home and we will do whatever we can do to make sure that that happens. So to be able to go in a second version of your life to then head up an organization that results in bringing an American trooper home back to a family who thought that they would never have any of that closure in their entire life, It's a beautiful thing, Sam. It really is.
1: Hey, everybody. This is Driven By with Sam Coates. On this podcast, you're going to hear people that see a need and they do something about it. You're going to hear what drives them, lessons learned along the way, how they built it, and how things are evolving yet still today. It is great to have you on the show. For more information, go to podcast.sampcoates.com. That's podcast.sampcoats.com and subscribe to our weekly email list and check out my show on Twitter, Instagram at Sam P. Coates. This show can be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts at Driven By with Sam Coates. If you like the show, please spread the word, tell a friend, and leave a review and check out previously recorded episodes. I hope you have a great day. Did you know that there are currently over 81,900 missing American service members around the world? These service members have served our country, sacrificed their lives, and they haven't yet come home. Today's episode is about a group of men and women from all over the world that dedicate their work to finding these service members and bringing them back home to their families. My guest today is Justin LeHue, who's Chief Operations Officer of History Flight. If you missed last week's episode, Go back to last week's episode and hear my first conversation with Justin LaHue. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you want to learn more about History Flight, go to historyflight.com. Hey, everybody. I'll just make this easy. Do you need insurance? Do you want another opinion about your insurance? Just go ahead and call Matt Haga with State Farm. It'll be easy. If you're thinking about it, just do it. We do have listeners to this show from all over the world, so this offers only for listeners in the state of Tennessee and Mississippi, in the United States. Matt Haga State Farm offers auto, home, renters, business, and life insurance. Go to matthaga.com, that's M-A-T-T-H-A-A-G-A.com, and contact them. When you contact Matt, tell him I sent you. Now more than ever, it is harder to fly. That's why you need to know of AB Jets. If you want to be efficient with your time and fly with one of the safest private air companies in the world, then you need to use AB Jets. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. AB Jets is one of the largest Lear 60 jet companies in the United States with nonstop access to most destinations around the US. Efficient, clean, and easy to work with, AB Jets is an experience that gets you where you need to go on time and with no hassle. Go to abjets.com for more information and book your trip today, or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S. Now we're gonna get back to the show. Why'd you get on board a history flight? We live by the
0: age old adage that you never leave a fallen comrade behind. I grew up with people in hometowns that were still missing their sons and daughters that never came home, Vietnam, from Korea, from anywhere you can imagine. When I was about 13 years old, one of our high school football team, who was one of the guys, and I wasn't on the team, they were just a family friend, uh, the Jones family. David Jones was a good football player, good enough to actually get that scholarship, one in a million of these kids. And he went to a university in Indiana called Taylor University. And this isn't a Division I school, but I can just remember it's like, wow, he's going to get to go play football, get paid a little bit to do it, whatever. That was really cool. And then I heard that the sad news that David was killed in a car accident that first year. It was there. And David's coming home and I knew his family and uh, went to David's service. And found David did not have a headstone for the service. Because as you know, Sam, it takes a while for people to make headstones or whatever. It's kind of just a little card down there. And I can still remember at the age of 13, I didn't like that. I didn't like the feeling about it. So I went back to my dad's woodshed, that's not a lie, I went back to my dad's woodshed, and he had some old wood burning stuff and he had everything else. And I made a wooden cross <laughs> and burnt into that cross his name and his dates. The date he was killed, date he was born. And went out to the cemetery and staked that in the ground that was on there to where he had some kind of headstone that was here for doing that. And he was now got a, you know, a nice granite headstone or whatever they eventually rose. It was there. But when... I got in the Marines, and you would hear these battle stories of all these people that never came back, or you'd hear this bomber story of the entire crew disappeared and they never came home. And these are the guys that were average like me. They went and did what they had to do. And I became a historian in the U.S. Marine Corps, and I went from being a failing high school, you know, kid in high school that, that went there, I went to being the kid who could not get enough of reading any book he got his hands on as it related to my profession, to try to better myself in my profession. So what I would do was, I would now go seek out generations. If I'm gonna go get attached to the army in a battle space, I'm gonna go back and find out uh, a story about Marines and army working together in World War I, and what it was like when they first showed up to do that. So one, it's what I can look for, two is, I know it succeeded, so we can get past these personalities that are here. And these books just kept stacking up in the hundreds to do that. And then by the time I became a more mid level leader to a senior level leader, these books started going into the thousands. And they would be earmarked or highlighted, or they would have anything. And it was the Peloponnesian War over here to the Japanese Russian War. It had nothing to do with America over here because it was my profession. I wanted to consume anything I could to help get an advantage on the battlefield and also leading people. So I became a voracious reader. And then I became an instructor in the Marines, and I started teaching this stuff. And then I became the senior enlisted of the U.S. Marine Corps in charge of the university system of the whole U.S. Marine Corps that was underneath that, that also had the museum, the history division, and this just enormous, repository of information and then in 2015 I got this package that came across my desk and they walked in and I was told to kind of look at the package that was in here and give me your thoughts on the person that was in the package and open it up read this story that's this UPS pilot that lives in the Keys that went out and found some U.S. Marines and yada 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 now he's part of this repatriation of Marines. And what it was, was a nomination package to make him an honorary Marine. And at that time in the history of the Marines, there was less than a hundred people. We're talking Chuck Norris was made an honorary, Arlie Hermes made an honorary Marine. You're talking about some of the greatest generals in history that wore other uniforms, honorary Marine, benevolent people who have helped wounded Marines. You're an honorary Marine. I'm like, I've never heard this guy and we're going to make him an honorary marine and then i read you know he went out on an island he found all these marines through this he's not an archaeologist he's not anything and it's it's fulfilling that promise and he's going to come here with his family so i hosted him and his family three years before i retired from the marine corps and did his honorary marine ceremony and then we went for about dinner after that talked got to know each other we didn't talk to each other for another three years. Never. It was down. There. And I was kind of sitting on the couch one day after I retired. I was a year out, and I was tired. I kind of wanted to enjoy kick around, be with the grandkid, not have to do the daily grind, certainly not drive back up to Quantico every day to go to work. So I didn't do anything. I was it. I had to, here's your garden. Here's everything else. <laughs> and uh, he and I linked up on the phone. And he said, can you come down here to the Keys? I'd like to talk to you. And I said, sure. And when, when do you like, he goes, plane ticket waiting for you. If you can come down tomorrow, that'd be great. <laughs> Turned to my wife and I said, I'm going to the Keys. And she said, what are you going for? And I said, I have no idea. But mm-hmm. so we kind of went down there, had a little bit of an idea. I did. Went down there and met some really great people and given a presentation. But for the most part, about two days worth of learning about the organization a few other things was here and I flew back and when I flew back my wife said so what was that about I said I have no idea I spent a couple days in the keys here's what we talked about Mark and I got back on the phone and said how would you like to come here and and help us out with this and I said quote what is help us out actually mean and at the time Sam help us out wasn't really defined I just had a conversation with Mark And kind of like you and I, unscripted, the conversation just went to here, to here, to here on with what you had just said. Here's how I think I might be able to help you out. Uh, what, what, What have you tried? What have you not tried in this bigger scope of a picture? And then we went about the first year of just kind of doing that and then hammering an organization into something that may have been a little more looser or freewheeling to give it some structure, to give it a platform to then get it marketing, to then get it a voice that's out there. And more importantly is take all the goodness that was going on, collage it, go find more enhancing people that can help out with this, that will even produce even greater results than what you can have that's here. And that eventually started resulting in the year 2019. We made 79 identifications in FY19. Uh, we made a heck of a lot more recoveries. Those were just the identifications that the government identified of all the people. We're roughly at about 350 plus sets of human remains that have been turned over to the U.S. government. while history flight has been working? Well over, we're about 150 of those have been positively identified and turned back over to their families. COVID slowed down a lot of this in the processing of that. Uh, But we have a lot more of those skeletal remains that are awaiting positive DNA results, whether it's through swabs of our researchers going out and helping families get their DNA through the swab process, or whether it's the pieces of individuals that we, we have recovered on sites over the past few years that we now send back to the labs that are matched with bones that may have been recovered years before, all the way back to the end of 1946 and 45, that are now getting exhumed, and these bones are getting matched up with those bones that paint this puzzle of that patella fits right where it's supposed to on this casualty that's been unknown since 1948 of the process. Or the bones you just found on Tarawa in this cemetery is a rib bone, these certain metacarpals, and a piece of a jaw. You just see the, the beauty of all these people coming together to give closure, to fulfill that promise that I made to Marines and to what was made to me when I became a Marine is dead or alive, you're coming home. And we will do whatever we can do to make sure that that happens. So to be able to go in a second version of your life to then head up an organization that brings all that goodness together, that lives up to that promise, that results in bringing an American trooper home back to a family, who thought that they would never have any of that closure in their entire life. It's a
1: beautiful thing, Sam. It really is. This is a small practical question and then I'll get back to where we are, but you said you're a voracious reader. How much do you read each day or how, how have you learned how to make the most of time and your schedule while continuing to read so much?
0: I read, I take the opportunity to read something every day. I take the opportunity to at least learn something new every day, no matter what that is. It doesn't have to be about warfare. It, it may be how to make chicken cacciatore for my family or something. I take something because not only do I believe that that one thing that you do every day to make somebody else's life better has to do specifically for your company or the bottom line, I also believe in you should do something to make yourself better today than you were yesterday. And that better today, Sam, may not be something just so profound as I have to be just this better human being for humanity. That one thing today may be I need to be a better mechanic to make sure that the car tires don't fall apart, or I need to be a better cook so that my wife's not cooking all the time to do that. Or maybe today I'm going to concentrate a little bit more on being a better dad than I am on the Marine Corps. So, whatever it is that makes you just a little bit better today. You find whatever that is. And one of the young ladies that we actually have that works here, uh, two years ago, other than watching film and and doing things, I couldn't tell you the basic root fundamentals of archaeology or how you go about this. And you're now asking me to come and run an archaeology-based organization, and I don't have what these skills have of these people. But it kind of goes back to what we talked about before Sam is don't question why they're asking you be grateful they are asking you because they're asking you for something that you may not see that they may need and then they may not know what they need until you you get there you have the opportunity to show it may not have been the science of what they needed they may have needed something completely different like the leadership or something else that was on here and I reached out to this young lady because Libraries are full, Sam, of anything on archeology. span So is anything here. But I have to learn in a rapid manner. And I'm not going to go sit in the classroom of College America for four years to learn what it is that you have. I reached out to the people who know. And I have scientists in here anywhere from 27 years old all the way in their mid-70s that are professors, that are world-renowned experts on Mayan culture, other people who are scientists from Ithaca College in New York State that are the duty experts that have taught for all those years. And they're also the people that work here. So I put out to them and I said, in a very condensed manner, of all the volumes that exist in history, give me two books that I need to read to get a concept of what you guys are doing. As it pertains, like you said, Sam, specifically to what we are doing
1: here. No distractions.
0: Yeah, I'm not talking about building archaeology at Monticello in 1745. No, I'm talking about this. And that young lady sent me two texts, said, you don't need to buy them because these texts are very expensive. Read these two books and you will have a nexus of exactly what it is we're talking about. I went to my senior scientists because that's a different perspective. Give me two books from each of you on what I should be looking at for this. And then I devoured those books. And then I showed up on dig sites with this terminology they never thought that anybody would ever be able to hear. And now I'm not using these generic terms. I'm using the terms. I'm talking their language. Now they're not starting sentences like this, Sam. Well, the basics of this is this. Now they're just having a conversation with me without saying, well, the The basic version of that would actually be this. No, they're having a very interactive conversation with their discussions and you're fitting into that because you, they know that you understand more than the rudimentary form of this now. And now if you were able to comprehend what they learned in 60, 50 and 40 years, and you were able to have a conversation with them in a month on that, That's like learning, you know, five Berlitz languages in three weeks, and you're able to now speak the language. Those doors, as you very well know, then open up for what people then expose you to because they believe you can handle a different level of what we're talking about. And then you just take on a little bit more each time. And then now you're teaching in universities across the United States that you don't have a Ph.D. to be in the university. And you're like trying to give people a reason when History Flight comes to talk why you should come listen to Justin LeHue. But if you send the CV, 199 people aren't going to come into the auditorium because they're going to say, well, he doesn't have a Ph.D., so I'm going to walk out of here. So, guess my Ph.D. people here war game how we're going to make that work. And they said, Justin, we can't explain things like you can to people in life. You can let the average person know the why. Whether they have three PhDs or they only have a sixth grade education, you can make it inclusive for everybody, not a specific group, because they understand what you're talking about. I have the PhD. I'm going to be on the flyer and I'm going to do a five minute introduction and introduce you, (laughs) and you're going to speak for the next two hours. And I'm going to sit in the back of the auditorium and give them the reason why that they need to stay here and listen to that. And every single time, Not a single person has ever walked out of any one of those auditoriums due to, well, he's only got this level of education or he's only done this. No, because in life, you surround yourself with, one, try to get better people than the skills that you have, especially when you're a leader, to do that. But more importantly, you try to get mutually supporting skills that offset with each other so not a single person has to carry the burden of doing that. And we have managed to shore up a organization now underneath that construct and that paradigm, Sam, that now has a 93% success rate of finding every single thing that we look for across the entire world
1: with the people like that. With history flight, what's the significance with the people that were not able to come home? 78,000 people that are out there. What's the significance of what history flights work? And the promise that it's being able to to chip away at on not leaving a fellow comrade behind
0: on its root form, Sam. I don't think you will find a more beautiful, wholesome mission that is out there. This isn't a treasure hunting thing; those people get weeded out really quick. This isn't a grave robbing thing. This isn't going out to try to find a Japanese zero in the jungle just so you can put a piece of the aircraft on your wall and say that you did something like that. This truly is a very selfless way to go about fulfilling that promise because you can actually layer the goodness of what we are as Americans going about to do this in the first place. Because there are other countries that don't care like this. They don't care about bringing people home. They don't do that. So in and of its root form, the American people do care about that and then secondly is this isn't just the American people Sam I have people here from all kinds of international backgrounds because we're going to find the best people to do this and the best people might not be the American the best people might not be something the best people might be a couple of Irishmen the best people might be a Spaniard the best people might be a young lady that lives in New Zealand down there the best people might be a young Filipino who lives in the Philippines right now whose wife is a nurse treating COVID patients. Yet he is an archeologist going and leaving that to go find American remains in another foreign country to bring that back home. The best people might be the veterans who wore the uniform and can tell people the why and all this. The best people might be the explosive ordnance disposal guy that risked his own life at handling World War II munitions and blowing up everybody around there at the expense of getting this young kid back to his family that nobody knows. That's 77 years ago. The expense is paying uh, a German family of walking into their backyard and saying, we're not here to hurt you and we're not here from the 19, you know, we don't care right now what, people thought about the Germans in 1940. We're here to see what you have because you were eight years old when your grandfather took you in the backyard for the P-47 crashed. Can you show us where that crashed at? And then you have to leap through the, well, we never thought anybody'd come back here to do that. You know, we, we told people for years this didn't happen because we actually thought that people would try to come back and charge our family with war crimes or something like this. And then you sit there and go, Whatever I have to do, I don't have to go to the Hague or something here now. We're not talking about mass graves, any of this. Whatever I can do, give me a piece of paper. Give me a German translator. I am going to write with my name on here that you are not going to be prosecuted or something. Or we're not looking to exploit your family or here. And I'm putting my name on the bottom of this. I want you to do that. And I'm going to turn that over to the State Department for you allowing us to dig in your backyard today to try to find this pile. And then on top of that, hair, whoever, we are going to make your backyard more beautiful than it ever has been by the time that you leave for you allowing us to do that. Because we will always leave this better than we found it. And that's a metaphor for life and business and everything else. Do what you can do during your time that you're responsible for. You may not be able to fix everything, Sam, but if you can walk away saying, I left it better than I found it, then you can still look at yourself in the mirror and say, I did everything I could do that night to do that. And you have all these people to come together. Sam, these people are Republicans. They are Democrats. They are atheists. They are libertarians. They are foreign political parties. They are Catholics. They are Jews. They are blacks. They are whites. They are Hispanics who all have their own feelings about what's going on in the world. But the beauty of it is, we have been able to bring all of that together to work together, regardless of how whatever conversations we're having on sites those days, whoever believes in whatever they believe in, and watch these teams go to work to pull that boy out of the ground with the care and condition as if it was their own brother or their son. And they're not even from this country. And then watch them meticulously rebuild. Like a human skeleton. Then watch them categorize it. Watch them send it off to a lab. Watch them all sit with bated breath like it's an investment they're just waiting to cash out on so that when somebody makes the identification that so and so was found, then we can contact the family. And I let the archaeologist who actually excavated that talk to the family. And then if the archaeologist is not in the country at the time, as much as we can. Just like last week, we send people to every single funeral, and I want them to know the why of what they do. And now they learn the battle history of why that young man is in the ground and what that generation did for them. They then dig as much as they can through everything they can to recover that person who may be younger than them, may be older than them, may come from the same state and hometown they are that are here they may have went to the same high school together, just 60 years apart that was on it. And then we get them out. And when we get them back to the States, we put them on an airplane and they go conduct the funeral and bring the bones home of that young guy to that family. And that family, 99.9%, Sam, the immediate family is no longer there who remembers that guy from 77 years ago. Or we get the guy that is eight years old back then and remembers their uncle holding them one time and kind of remembers a guy in uniform and now they're in their eighties and these families on their deathbeds have made subsequent family members promise to not give up trying to find mom's son, not give up trying to do this. And we have 90 year olds that are attending these funerals that say that they were little children. And then they remember getting the telegrams, and they remember their mothers screaming in the backyard when they lost one, two, and three boys during this war. And then for the next years, they remember their, their mother writing the government letters, where is my son, is there? And then they remember getting the telegrams that said we'd lost them, we don't know where they're at. And then they remember the 50s, the 60s, the 70s of their family members saying, that if I had one Christmas wish, that wish would be to have him back. And then when they die, they sit there, Sam, and make their kids promise to never give up looking for that. To be able to be a person that can go into their family line and show up and say, I'm going to try to help fulfill that promise that your family made to you and you made to that, that we're going to say that we are never going to give up looking for this. We may have things that stop every now and then, or a few years here or money runs out here or that, but we're not gonna give up if we have the opportunity to do that. And why is it so important with the American government and that now is you're talking a generation now of people that don't remember. And you're talking about an elderly generation that can't forget but we're about to die. And now there's this nexus of, if this generation passes on without the younger generation understanding the why, the younger generation will not be in a position to fulfill that promise to their family. And then more importantly is they won't have the drive that maybe because they didn't get a DNA match nine years ago when they gave up hope, that technology 10 years from now doesn't recreate something that actually takes the same bones and cuts it a different way and says, we didn't forget. We had to go on a nine-year hiatus, but congratulations, your, your long-lost great-grandfather is now going to come home because of your DNA, because we couldn't get it
1: from the previous generation
0: to happen. Hey
1: everybody, we're going to take a quick pause here from the show and hear a word from one of our sponsors. After that, we'll get back to the show. Do you want to make efficient use with your time? Now more than ever, traveling hassle-free is harder to find. AB Jets is one of the safest private air companies in the world with impeccable service, with nonstop access to most destinations around the USA. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. Bypass the hassle and get an AB Jets jet Card. It gets you 10 or 25 hour flight options that makes your experience hassle-free. AB Jets carries up to eight passengers is one of the largest Lear 60 operators in the U.S. Go to abjets.com for more information or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S to travel on your own terms. This fits other parts of our conversation where your work and your teammates' work is doing your part in making us understand history and the sacrifice And when we can not experience it or we can't feel it, or when we can't live it, there's no connection to the appreciation and to the gratitude and to the understanding of how good we have it in a lot of ways.
0: Sam, it's just a black and white photo or it's an old newsreel that doesn't have sound on it and people learn in different ways. I can take a black and white newsreel without any sound. And in five minutes can make it the most impactful five minutes you've ever seen in your entire life. And I can tell you exactly in that newsreel what the sights and smells were at that time. I can tell you what the air temperature was like. I can tell you how hot that sand was. And I can relate it to remember that time that your family took you to Daytona Beach and you burned yourself in the heels of the sand. Imagine if you were shoeless because you had to wade in 700 meters off the shore and your feet got cut up on that coral. And then you got up on that sand. All of a sudden, you just took 77 years and merged it just like this to a sight, smell, and a feeling that that person you're talking to today, even though they wasn't in battle, can relate to that. Do you remember that burnt cheese sandwich that your mom had that was inside of there and how repulsive that actual smell to you? Imagine a thousand people that are out there laying across the beachhead of what that smell was going to be like that day in a tropical heat. When you're 17, 18, and 19 years old. And then you have your sergeant who is trying to scream at you because you can't hear over anything that's out there. You don't have the armor that the American soldier, sailor, airman, or Marine has today. You just have a thin skinned shirt. You have a heavy waterlogged weapon and everything else. And that sergeant is telling you to get your ass off the beach before you die. And the only reason you're laying on the beach is because you don't wanna leave your buddy who's laying next to you who was just killed moments before you. Because you all went to boot camp together and you dated his sister when he took you home before you all shipped off. And then you told me the why, what's the why? What makes, what's the drive that makes somebody look at their high school buddy that's here and then hear all this around them and the whole island's on fire and has people screaming at them to get moved, keep moving and they know as soon as I move, he's gone forever. I will never see him again. But you know what? I have a mission I have to do. And if I don't do my job, more men are going to die. And in today's day and age, that's more men and women collectively are going to die. And then that's your sense of, I need to get my head out of my ass, stop being sorry for myself, not worry that I'm rolled in the sand like a sugar cookie and it's all down my back and everything else. I need to press on. I need to keep moving. I need to do that to win. And that's the best thing that I can do today to honor my dead buddy that's laying back there is to survive today because that way I can be there to tell the story of how he died or I can get on a boat or a plane and go back to America and stand there with his mother and fill fill that in. To say, here's how your son died, and you had a good boy, and here's what we did in New Zealand, or here's what we did here. And you give them, you're there to give them that little piece. Or as I tell people that have PTSD problems today, or, you know, I don't want to think about the war. I don't, you know, why did I live and and he didn't live, or to do that is, don't think about it like that. Do you remember the good times that you had with that person? You also know he's got three kids now, and those kids are teenagers, and one of them is a nine-year-old. And you know what? They were never around to know what it was like to know their dad. But you can tell them what their dad was like because you knew their dad. And now, when they're going through at the age of 13 and they're going through the trials of being a teenage boy or whatever, and they don't have their dad there, they can pick up the phone and call you because you were part of that family. And you're the one that ever said, if you ever want to know about your dad, when the time comes, you let me know. I'll tell you what kind of man your dad was so when i have sat there talking with people with their tears in their eyes that are soldiers who can't go on anymore meaning it's 2020 sergeant major what's the meaning of life why you know i never have been able to feel like i did when i was a ranger in the army or whatever the here and i don't know why jimmy survived and i didn't it was all here you know brother you and me come take a walk do you not think that i don't have the same things as you do that are here But I also tell them, you never know on any given day who's watching you. You may not think you're inspiring somebody today. You don't have to say something very inspiring. They may just log on to your Facebook to see if you're still here. And they say to themselves, if that guy's still doing it, I still have a chance. And they look to you for that outreach to do that. And more importantly, those promises you made to each other along the way that if I don't make it home, you know, Make sure my family doesn't forget about me or make sure something like that. Those are combat promises that are lifelong fulfillment, Sam, that you really do feel obligated to keep your shit together because other people are going to look at you. And also, you kind of are expected to maybe live a little bit of a life for a guy that didn't have an opportunity to do that. And so you know what? Why can't I now say some motivating words to a 13-year-old who just broke up with his first girlfriend and thinks that his life is completely freaking over with, and there will never be another because I absolutely loved her, and that was it. And you'll be like, man, when I was with you before your dad married your mom, he dated 17 people, and here's what this is, and I can tell you now because you're a man, so come over here, and then you just tell them whenever you're having a problem with that, if you don't think you can go to your mom, here's my phone number, give me a call. And then you can have a phone conversation, you know, and then they can say, you know, all of a sudden I'm not your uncle, but they say like Uncle Justin, can you be at my football game next to here? Can you be at this? And you're sitting here like, I'm not your uncle, but in a way you are, you know, that's who you are. And that's how you go about living your life. So to be in a position every day, Sam, to be able to do that for for you, because you know why? Along the way, somebody did that for me. On my hardest days around there, somebody put their arm around me. I was younger and said, when my dad died and I was 13 years old, Justin is going to be okay now. We're going to get through this. I don't know how, but we're going to get through this. And then somebody, when I was a, you know, 23 and 24 year old sergeant and just did 77, you know, or a gunnery sergeant in 2003 and just did 77 medevacs in a 24 hour period with no chow, no water, no sleep, and you can barely stand up and keep your eyes and then you hear again somebody just got hit and now you have to go to that position like that you know there there is a reason why people are where they are that's in that and i truly do believe there is an expectation because like you had said sam there is a understanding of when these stories are gone you know these aren't what you can read in a book that makes the pages come alive these are the stories that gives people the why they should feel the way they should. This, this brings the black print out of the book that screams, pay attention to this. This is what's important. You can flip over the next four pages. That's not going to be all that important. But just remember this section here, if you're a Marine gunnery sergeant, seven years from now, and you're feeling like all the shit's going bad in your life, Just read this book that was here. Highlight the word that says gunnery sergeant, gunnery sergeant, gunnery sergeant, gunnery sergeant, and then just remember that there was a gunnery sergeant that was able to freaking work through all those problems years before you ever held that rank. Refer back to that because people like John Bassalone did that for me. I never got to talk to John Bassalone, but the Marine Corps told me John Bassalone's story, and they made John Bassalone come alive. They made Smedley Butler. They made Chesty Puller. They made all these people come alive that said, this is why you should give a shit about all these people who came before. Because they're going to be tried more than any other generation. And if you can give them the why like that, and you can make the pages come alive, it's the same reason why people like reading Gulliver's Travels and others don't. It's the same reason why the Swiss family Robinson jumped off the pages To me, when I was in my 30s and 40s, and I never read that book when I was a kid because nobody ever gave me a reason to read The Swiss Family Robinson when I was a kid. They did just kind of like, read this. Why? Why am I reading? Just read this. It's on the required reading list or it was here. They never made the pages come alive. And uh, once I got across people who made the pages come alive, I could not keep my hands off of books Mm. after that.
1: When you think about your most loyal supporters for History Flight, what do those people care about? And what makes them care so much about your work and History Flight's work?
0: The the people that's here, Sam, are just like me. And that's why they care. From wherever they're at, they're here for whatever reason, they're here. Some of them have had family members who were lost before. Some of them have helped out hundreds of families, just doing research for those families. They've, They've never went to the excavation sites every single time and did the whole, you know, gamut of things. They add their own little piece of the puzzle. But external to the organization, when you can talk to people about their why, why should it matter that is out there, you find the same resounding thing across the United States and across the world, is everybody wants closure in and of their own right. It doesn't matter if it's a 70-year-old murder case. It doesn't matter if somebody's got a a sister who disappeared 17 years ago. And they tell you, well, I, I've never really had a family member that was in the military. So I don't, re- I'm not really connected to this. Well, can you just give me five minutes? And we, you know, you respect who that person is and you talk to them. And you talk about the hometown street they grew up on and did have neighbors. and the- Yes, they did. They, they do remember that person. And then you actually find out they had a disappearance in their family and they never, their cousin's been missing. And then you tell them, how does that make you feel? And they make, it makes me feel sad. Or what happens if your mother left the house tonight and didn't show back up? I said, that happened to 78,000 of these people. Because some of these guys did get to come home, kissed their parents, turned around, and then disappeared on entire ships like the USS Indianapolis. And then they treaded water, delivering bomb parts for the atom bomb because they couldn't be uh, out of radio silence. And then for five days, people did not know those men were in the water and they had to survive shark attacks, dehydration, all of that stuff to where they were rescued five days later. These are the stories that when people hear that, they instantly tell you this, Sam, I never heard that. I never knew that. And then when you tell them stories like that, they instantly say, what can I do to get involved? And it's no shortage to find people to get involved. They're there in COVID. It's a little bit. I wouldn't say it's, it's hard because you have researchers and you have other things. There's, a, there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. So the mission doesn't stop just because COVID's here. You know, so, so it's a hard time in today's day and age to have donors want to donate when you know some American families are kind of wondering where the next uh, food's going to be on their table. So I even told my own people here months ago, we kind of went into a donation hiatus here, even though we still have recoveries to do in that. And I said, if we do things right now for the American people, what I would like History Flight to do is generate money to give to some of these families that are trying to help them through COVID. And some of these families are families of these veterans who have lost these loved ones 70-some years ago. Now their families are hurting
1: today. So you're taking money from History Flight and trying to serve the greater good. To do
0: the greater good... By only asking people to know where their donations go, I I have never been able to tell somebody that we're going to accept a donation. I'm going to do something with that different. Absolutely not. You tell them exactly what the reason for. So the example is this. Somebody comes up to me and says, I would like to donate. I love what you're doing. I'd like to donate $250 to History Flight for the teams working in the field. Right now, so they can get water, they can do whatever that's here. Normally, I like to show them here's where your money went to. If I don't have the teams working in the field. What I say is, I will have teams working in the field. Right now, what we would like to do is we have 10 individuals that live on that island that help us with our excavations that are local workers that don't even have shoes on their feet most of the time. And in COVID, they live out here on this island. What I would like to do is, can you save your $250 now? You don't have to donate that. And I'm going to reach back out to you when we open up operations again so that you know where your money went to this year. Every time I say that, Sam, they say, through that, I won't give you $250. i will give you 500 now. Put some shoes on those boys' feet. Let me help out that way. And then when you start operations in the field again, give me a call. And i'll make another donation
1: that was my clarifying question was just to really make it clear at least in my head and how you hear this podcast that you're using this time not just to support history flight get through this time but you're using this time to help the people affiliated with history flight to get through this time to get through this as time. well yes it's incredible what are the things that you had to do early on when you took over history flight to take it from a startup 501C3 doing this work and really work through structure, formality, processes, et cetera, with a very complicated operation. When you got involved early on, can you talk a little bit about your work and seeing the gaps, seeing the needs and how to really make it a well-oiled machine?
0: The, the first two things are still the same things that I believe today. They had a great success. They had a great base. They had a great mission. So all the greats were here. It was here. It was, it was kind of like trying to make sure that this bridge connected with this bridge to, to make it a little bit more smoother. But, but more importantly is the first thing I did was I flew everywhere in the first 60 days in the world. To anywhere we had teams working in the field. see them in their own element, Two, they had no idea who's this guy that's coming in to do this. I didn't let them know it was that. I just started slinging dirt with them and acting like I was uh, kind of like that TV show undercover boss because I made no announcement why I'm here, who I am. I just started flying around and I started doing their job with them and also getting to know each and every person that was here and why are they here. And what's the problems? What are your individual things? What don't you like about the company? What could you what, what could be working better? What's working better? And things like that. So I flew to Tarawa numerous times, you know, Belgium and Germany and things like this, where we had operations to do that. And I had told Mark Noah, that's the first thing I was going to do. It was getting to know the people who are here doing this. And then at one time, you will laugh. I wish I took a big, I think I got a photo somewhere at Sam. I went in our home in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And I ripped everything off of a single wall. And I put Mark Noah's photo on the wall. And I sent my wife and my daughter to a fabric store to get all multicolored yarns and pins and everything else that was here. And what we did was... We started with Mark Noah and every name I heard, Sam, I get a different color yarn and I pin, and then put that person's photo with a three by five card under what that person does, because I didn't know anybody. So we would be having conversations, Sam, and somebody would spit out a name and I'd be like, okay, now who is that person? Do they even work here? Did they used to work here? What's their specialty? What do they do? Because you're never going to learn the organization. It's going to take you time to do that. So my wall looked like a crime scene at the house of the past eight to 10 years of history flight or whatever it was, because it used to be an aircraft flying organization, wasn't MIAs. So I need to rule out this airplane mechanic over here. He's not really into MIA recovery. So it was that. Now get it down to here and then start asking the people work here about these And not about, I want you to dime them out. I want you to narc them out. No. Uh, were you here at the time with this person? What was their job that was here? And you find out how many people are the familiar faces. And then there's the nexus of what works here. Because you see people come and go out of the picture. Each year, year or two, how'd he come back in? How'd she leave? Oh, she's a forensic odontologist. She was only here for one case. Okay, now she does this. And you do this. And then you write like this chart of how, how is this working right now? How can this work right now? Because it's working, but it can work better. It's the same thing on, you know, the, the car still rolls on bald tires, but it would roll better if it didn't have bald tires. You know, that's it. So, okay, let's go do this, 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 and this. Then you get out there and in your own element, you start learning people. And when people start coming to you with problems, it started, it's starting to be a trust thing because you find out there isn't trust between certain periods and years people weren't an organization. So then it's not the organization, it's people you're talking about. You know, uh, Procter & Gamble during somebody's period of their life was probably the greatest company they ever worked for in their life. You know, Procter & Gamble, 35 years later, and somebody's is the worst company. That person ever worked. But Procter & Gamble is the same. The logo's is the same. It was the people were different in it during those different time periods. So I found out the different people. And then I also found out a high turnover for people. It's hard to invest in people when you have a high turnover rate on things. And you lose certain skills that it takes you time to grow that are on there. So we're going to we're gonna do a few things. We're going to not have such an expansive thing, and we're going to cut this down to a more selective thing, but invest in those people for a longer period of time. And it makes up for all this other crap. But you still need this because each of these people in another right made a difference here when they were here for something. They just might not fit into what you have going on right now. They're not the round peg for the round hole at this time. But they have a skill set you need, and that's how you treat people, because you don't want to leave people with a bad taste in your mouth. You don't want. You may have to use that person two years down to have this unsolvable problem. That nobody can. They don't want to work here anymore. To help you out on an out basis or something, to help you get through that. Why? Because you afforded them the opportunity to do something at their period in their life and return these guys home. And now maybe they have went on to some bigger, better things. And now you have that. That nexus was there. So then it was getting to know everybody because then it was connecting the people and saying, we don't need to go hire that, that, and that. That resident knowledge is already here. You don't know that girl already has that. Why don't you know that girl already has that? Because you've never even had a conversation with her. And when you're eating today on Tarawa, uh, why are all the military guys eating over there and all the scientists are eating over here? Guess what? Pull your chairs together. You're all eating at the same table from now on. And we're going to sit here and we're going to talk about where you're from, what's your favorite football team, who don't you like, who you like, why you have a problem with that individual, and because they chew with their mouth open or whatever, but it's building a respectable family. It's here. And then the funny thing is, Sam, you can't be there all the time, right? So you really, truly know that this is this is planting the seed corn that may never grow on your watch, but... You see, a month down the road, more people are now calling you and asking you for advice, or more people are doing this, or or somebody saying, "Hey, Justin, I'll stay an additional extra week on the island because my replacement is having a really hard time right now with something that's here," and you're sitting here like three months ago, you didn't care who your replacement was. Bingo, and they will now give up their own time so that that person can fix what they have to do, and even in this COVID thing that was here. The majority of the people that doesn't have the money coming in, the, the, the collective people are here. You don't know how many times, Sam, I've heard in this organization when I go to go and tell somebody, "Okay, here's what we're going to do with something," that I know it's greatly going to affect that person. meaning mostly financially, it's going to affect that person. Like, I can't send you out for eight months, or I can't do whatever. Uh, we can do this. Every single person, Sam, I got this whittled down to when I pose that earth-shattering thing that's going to affect everybody here. Constantly, they're asking about somebody else first, and they're constantly saying, "Well, if I'll forego my paycheck this period so that we can give it to him because because they just moved into a new apartment and have a new baby, uh, I'm good. Just give my pay to that person that's over here." And you won't see that in a lot of corporate America anywhere of somebody willing, even when they're not getting. I mean, they need their own paycheck, but they're saying. If I have some, as long as I can get a little bit, I'd like to give something to somebody else. And I just had another young lady actually say, rather than me, can we go ahead and make sure that the local Tarawa workers that have never, mostly ever left that island in their entire life, can we make sure that they're getting a little bit of money to help them through COVID right now, too?
1: How long did it take you to get things to where there was that buy-in or people that didn't care about their replacement three months ago now care about the replacement? Was that one year, two years? How long was that? I,
0: I think probably there were echoes of it in at the six month mark to where you're sitting there when Mark and I are talking or I'm using other people to say, you know, has this been tried before? Has this failed before? Has this not done that? Because you're, you you do not want to waste people's time and you also don't want to go to change things just to change things. Because I don't care if my name was ever on anything that was here. It, it, as long as there is something at the tail end of this that equates to an American family bringing a boy home, I could care less if name was ever in the news media a single thing that was here. I've got 31 years of being on the world stage, of standing in some of the greatest cities and the you know, most crappiest times in, in the life, saying that the, the eyes of the world is on me today. Meaning I am standing in Nazarea in an intersection of a street corner. Everyone in the world is watching the news tonight and what I am doing here with these Marines, right? Only a few places in your life can anybody ever say the world stopped on that day. 9-11 was another one. Uh, landing astronauts on the moon, the world stopped and watched every. I have had the luxury a couple of times in my life, and I was where the focus was. For the whole world. And so every time somebody calls or anything else, you know, when you're 50 or that, you kind of sit there and look. You know what? I'd love for you to interview this 27-year-old guy that's over here that's running these dogs that does this. You know, because they are the greatness of maybe what has never been exposed on to why are they so successful? Because it's the quality and the choice of people that make your organization successful to do that or the success and failure in life is the lack of quality in organization. We used to go through, um, in the Marines, Sam, they have all these creeds and everything that are on on the walls. It's kind of a little bit of a blueprint that tells you how you're supposed to live your life. If you do these things, you'll be a good leader or or you'll do this. And the end result was we had a, a creed years ago that was about three little stanzas. It was enough for everyone to memorize. That told everybody exactly, if you do this, this is what I'm going to do for you. And this was the expectation. And it can be applied across the civilian sector, anywhere. And, and basically, it was, I am a non-commissioned officer, which is a leader, a younger leader in the Corps. Uh, I am dedicated to training new Marines and influencing the old Marines. Right? I am forever conscious of each Marine under my charge and by my example will inspire them to the highest standards possible. I will strive to be patient, understanding, just, and firm. I will commend the deserving and I will encourage the wayward. And I will never forget that I am responsible to my commanding officer for the morale, discipline, and efficiency of this unit. And their performance will reflect an image of me. So, all of these CEOs that are out there saying that their organization is a failure because their workers don't work as hard as they do, or they look in the mirror, buddy, your organization's a failure because you. You look in the mirror first as a leader before you ever try to throw blame to anybody else. Have I done this? Have I done this? Have I done this? Because our creed basically told the youngest person in the company, You are responsible for the morale, discipline, and efficiency of this business. It didn't say the general or the sergeant major is responsible for that. It said you are. So in other words, you buy in and give it your all, and we will be a success on the back of you. Where you also fail as a leader is when you allow them to go and do that. And then when it's the unit's time to shine, you kick them out the way and say, I'm on the news media, and this is as great because I'm here to do that. No. It's always because of the people that are down there. You may be able to inspire whoever to do that, or light the fire in them, or give them the why to do that. But collectively, it's always the pieces and parts of the sum of the organization that makes it to what it is. And in history flight, the pieces, the parts, and the sum, same we're all there. it's like going to an antique store and finding an old clock and it's beautiful. But the clock don't, for some reason, man, the clock's just not keeping time or it's not doing something, but you're like, that is too beautiful. We're going to do what we can make it to make it not just beautiful, fully functioning. It's inside of there. And then all of a sudden you see that clock not displayed in an antique store. You see that clock wanting to be bought by Bill Gates or Elon Musk or somebody Because not only is it just one of the most beautiful clocks you've ever seen, one of the most functioning clocks you've ever seen.
1: You were talking about being center of the world stage at Nazaria, but it's clear based off of everything that we've talked about today, you didn't care about that. And you didn't want it. And you were talking about now the people you work with and trying to help other people have their moment. I know that I can't take it literally from you that you've already had that. So now you want other people to have it. You just don't feel like you cared about that in the first place. So I appreciate
0: that, Sam. I think when you actually roomed up to care about something other than yourself, the world really does put the world in a bigger perspective. How infinitesimal you are as an individual and how infinitesimal your time on this earth is. And I truly do believe you maximize and take every effort humanly possible to pack as much into that infinitesimality in those two cases to make whatever difference that you can during your time on this earth worthwhile for everyone, and when you do that, at the tail end of your life, man, you know, I, I'm really hoping that uh, when the lights go out, Sam, I, I'm really hoping that I'm on the escalator going up, man. <laughs> I do, and I really do hope that I get to this whatever place it's going to be, and there's some gigantic book I opens that thing up and says, "Oh, Justin." we thought you were going to be here a few other times. And you managed to dodge it, but here you are. And then we kind of go through that. And you're kind of just sitting there going, I hope when they read the sum of the chapters of my life, that there's more goodness in there than what was bad. Because everybody has both of that. And, and everybody's done things in their life that they're not proud of. You know, It doesn't mean you had to kill somebody or anything else. It, it might just mean that You know, you told mom you'd be home at 10 o'clock that night and you never showed up and she worried all those years. And then you get home at four in the morning and you see her crying in the house, staying up all night, waiting where you were at. And you're sitting here when you're 50 going, I still feel like shit. It's a 50 year old and my mom's not alive anymore. I feel like shit that I did that to that woman back then, right? So I'm not proud of that moment to do that. And I've tried to use that moment to make myself a better perspective in life for when my daughter did the same thing to me for something or my grandson's going to do to her that I told you to be here, where the hell have you been at for the past two hours? That's just the way it is in life. And it happens. And then you either keep your head about you, use it as a thing, or you lose your shit over here. That's the two <laughs> people in life. And you kind of want to be around these people more than these people, but you really do hope when they go through those bad things on that thing they still close the book and say, even taken with all that in consideration, uh, why don't you come on in here with the rest of everybody else? Because you did good, kid. You did good by all of us in these past generations and uh, we'd like to have you in there. I, I kind of believe in that. So uh, I believe that's a, that's a huge driving force in the, in the context of my life to do that.
1: Hey, everybody. If you like the show, I'd love to hear from you, even if you don't like the show and you still want to take the time to fill out a survey. If you're on my weekly email newsletter or if you go to my website, podcast.sampcoats.com, you'll see a tab to click on where I have a survey created. This survey is to give me insights on how to make the show better for you. I'd love your feedback as I'm working to give you as much value as I'm able. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you like the show, please rate it and leave a review. Also, I have a weekly newsletter that comes out each week with the new episode, show notes, and more. You can sign up for this newsletter at podcast.sampcoats.com. Have a great day.